Buddha lived, died, and was buried. Muhammad lived, died, and was buried. Jesus Christ lived, died, and buried. But three days later, God breathed life into his dead body, and he was resurrected, which proves that he alone is the Lord of Lord and the King of King and the ruler of this universe, that he alone is God. Hello and welcome as we lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley Rutherford. I'm Kyle Welch. This program is part of an outreach ministry from Shepherd Church located in Los Angeles, California. Everything we do at Shepherd is based around John 3.14 that teaches us to lift up the name of Jesus that the world might believe. We want to come alongside you in your journey with God and help you become stronger in your faith so you can better serve Jesus and share him with others. Our pastor is Dudley Rutherford, and we join him right now with his message for us today. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. This is the final message in our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. How many of you have been blessed by this series? You've enjoyed our series on 1 Corinthians. Today's message, if you grab your sermon notes, is what is the gospel? What is the gospel? If someone were to ask you to give a definition of the gospel, what would you say? You, as a Christian, should be able to answer that question. Now, I'll put this verse on the screen. Paul said to the church at Rome, he said, I'm not ashamed. I want you to say not ashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And so whatever the gospel is, you need to know what it is because you can't be saved without it. It is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew, and then for the Gentile. But no one's getting saved without the gospel. 1 Corinthians 13, which we looked at last week, is called the love chapter. Chapter 15 that we're going to look at today is called the resurrection chapter. Now, Paul had traveled to Corinth five years earlier. He helped establish the church. He preached when he established the church on the resurrection. It's been five years since he was there. It's been 20 years since Christ actually resurrected. And yet there were people in the church after just a few years already doubting the resurrection. Are you with me? How many of you understood all that? Okay, okay. You understand? How many of you did not understand that? I don't want to say it again. So let's look at chapter 15, and I just want to read just a few verses. Verse 1, now brothers... I want to remind you of the gospel. Everybody say gospel. The gospel that I preached to you just five years ago, which you received and which you took your stand. We actually established this church on the resurrection. Don't you remember that? Look at verse 2, he says. By this gospel, 
You are what? Saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. In other words, what he's saying there, if you don't believe in the gospel, if you don't believe in the resurrection, then I don't know what you believe in, but whatever it is, it's worthless. If you don't believe in the gospel, whatever it is that you believe, it's not worth anything. Now look at verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This was supreme when we started this church five years ago. And here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And verse 4, that he was buried... And that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, in your notes, I want you to write this stuff down. The word gospel is made up of two English words. One is good, one is spell. Good spell. You are spelling good. You're spelling out good things. You're writing out good things. You're telling good things. That's what it means in the English. In the Greek, the word gospel means good news. It's good news which I'll explain in a moment. And so by definition, the gospel is the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the best news the world has ever heard. Good news cannot be good news unless there's the possibility of bad news. It's good news because there's a possibility of a lot of bad news that's at stake. We get a hint, a hint of what the bad news is down in verse 3 where it says that Christ died for our sins. The good news is good news based upon the bad news of sin. I will explain. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have what? Sin. That's all of us. Look around. And the Bible says we've all sinned. What's the, bad, what's the big deal about that? The big deal about that is Romans 6, 23. Here's the bad news. It says, for the wages of sin is death. Now, some people don't understand what that means. What is wages? I don't understand wages. And so I gave you six words that you could use interchangeable with the word wage. For the results of sin is death. The consequences of sin is death. The reward of sin is death. How about this one? The paycheck. The paycheck of sin is death. The penalty of sin is death. The end game of sin is death. And there's three words you have to write all three down. Uh, uh, Death uh, physically, spiritually, and eternally. When it says that the wages of sin, the consequences of sin is death, what does that mean? It means, first of all, that sin, sin will just destroy you physically. I, I don't care who you are, uh, how strong you are, uh, how brave you are, how conniving you are, you think you get away with everything. Any sin that's going on in your life or my life 
it begins to eat away and it eventually will destroy you physically but then it destroys you spiritually and that and that it separates you from god i don't know of anything worse in this life than to go through this life without god is there anything worse than that now i i am a christian i'm a child of god god is in me through the holy spirit and life is tough i can't imagine people who i don't need god forget god i'm just going to do what i want i'm greater than god well we'll see what happens to you in in a little bit we'll show a little verse that's going to happen to people who have that attitude but i can't imagine going through this life without god and sin separates you from god in this life you say well there can't be anything worse than that oh yes there is and that is that you are separated from god for all of eternity and it's up against the prospect of that bad news that i come today to tell you i got some really good news for you it's the gospel of jesus christ that you can be saved I first of all write this down to death. I want to break this down where he died on that cross for our sins. He died in our place. And I like to personalize this. And in your notes, you really, you ought to scratch out the word our and just write the word my. He died in my place. I got three problems. Number one, I have a debt of sin. I've, I've committed, so, I look back over my life. I've I've failed God so many times. It's like a debt I owe that I can never pay. And he paid a debt that he did not owe. You've heard that phrase, but I have a debt of sin. I am numbered. Second of all, I'm defiled by sin right now. I stand before you today, a sinner. I do not stand before you claiming to be perfect. I am a sinful man. And I got news for you in the future. I'm almost under the dominion of sin because... You know, I, 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 know, I know some of you think I'm perfect. I got that. I know some of you. My mom, my mom, she thinks I'm perfect. I got that. <laughs> your past, your present, and your future. And I can't imagine, what, what would my life be like? What would your, how, how would you, how can you live on this earth without knowing that your sins were taken and placed upon Jesus on the cross? Without that truth, I would be lost. I would be confused. I would be bewildered. I would be guilt-ridden. I would be broken. I would be living in despair. But all of it, the debt, the defilement, the dominion, all of it is gone because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. Oh, that's good news. Woo! Number two, the burial. He was buried. You ever wonder why the burial is even in this conversation? In the gospel narrative, it's the death, burial, and resurrection. You never hear anyone saying the death of Christ, the death and the resurrection. It's almost like something's missing. It's it's always the death and the burial. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. The death and the burial. The death and the resurrection, something's missing. Yes, it's the death and the burial. You know why the burial part is in there? For a couple reasons. Number one is to prove that he was actually dead. To prove that he had actually died on that cross. The reason why he was placed in that tomb is so that the entire world would know 
that he did die on that cross. He, he was decomposing in that grave. That he actually died on the cross and he was actually buried in a tomb. And it's over. It's final. Death, death had won again. He's in the tomb. There's a second reason, though, why the buried thing is always there. Because our sins are buried in the grave of God's forgetfulness. Oh, that's good right there. It's not just that he died for our sins on the cross. Oh, I got that. That's the atonement. But the burial part for me is symbolic that God not only takes away our sins, not only does God forgive us of our sins, but God chooses to never again even remember our sins. They're buried forever. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I choose to remember your sins no more. That is why he was buried, in my, in my opinion. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews 10. Verse 11, talking about the fact that God no longer remembers our sins. Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again and again and again and again. He offers the same sacrifices day after day, which can never really take away anybody's sins. Verse 12. But when this priest, well, who's this priest? He just talked about every priest, but now he's pointing to one priest. What priest is he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Because he wants you to know that when this priest had offered, remember those other priests, it was day after day, day after day, all the time, day after day, again and again and again, but he says in verse 12, but when this priest had offered for all time just one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because by one sacrifice, one, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Oh, you got to get that. Don't leave here without getting that. I am being made holy this very moment. Yes, I've sinned in my past. i got present sin. I'm probably going to sin over there at LAX in a little bit. I don't know. I hope not. And that process is called sanctification where I'm being made holy. On this earth, in my eyes, in my life, in my body, God keeps knocking off the rough edges. I come to church. I hear a sermon. I read the Bible. The Holy Spirit convicts me. I meet another brother or sister who corrects me. There's a continual process of me becoming holy i'm not holy yet but i'm on that journey i'm not i praise god i'm not i'm not i'm not what i used to be i'm not quite where i need to be but i keep getting holy i more and more I, i god is shaping me to be more like his son jesus every single day i'm being made holy that's how i see things but from god's perspective when he looks down 
Even though I'm engaged in this sanctification process, in the eyes of God, based upon what Jesus Christ did on that cross, when he looks down, he sees me as being perfect. Forever. Now, wait a minute. I know I'm a sinner. But my sins were taken on that cross and they were buried in the grave of God's forgetfulness. And when God sees me, He sees me underneath the blood of Jesus Christ. And in the eyes of God, I am perfect forever. Wow. See, do you sit here right now struggling with sin? Right now you think, oh man, I'm guilty. I got got to get over this. I'm struggling. The guilt just keeps coming back. You never, you need to see yourself from the eyes of God because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. The death, the burial, number three, the resurrection. He was raised from the dead. Yes, he died, the gospel. Yes, he was buried. But three days later, what happened to him? He resurrected from the dead. I want you to write down a couple things. Number one, I want you to write down the trial. Everybody say the trial. It was overturned by a higher court. I'm not talking about the OJ trial, okay? Some of you thought thought I was talking about the OJ trial. I want you to turn over to Acts chapter 2. You remember the trial. I won't go into all the details. Jesus stood before Pilate. Remember that? Remember that? It was a trial. It was a farce, but it was a trial. And there were some trumped-up charges because Jesus had never, ever done anything wrong. The Bible says he was sinless. But they trumped up these charges. So they, they drag him before Pilate. Well, what are the charges? And he listens to everyone, and they're kind of arguing back and forth. And he goes, I don't find anything wrong with this man. What do you, what do you want me to do with Jesus? And all the people said, we want you to crucify him. Well, cruci- oh, you want me to crucify him? I'll tell you what I'll do. There's a man named Barabbas. You, would you rather me release Barabbas to you? or release- we, all, we all know Barabbas is a convicted criminal. Do you want us to get, I'll release Barabbas? Or do you want me to release Jesus? They, they said, release Barabbas. Really? Yes. Well, then what do you want me to do with Jesus? And they all shouted, crucify him. And so Pilate, you know, he takes some water and he kind of washes it. Well, I'm guilty. I'm innocent. You know, you're not. If you say crucify him, you're guilty of crucifying him. But he takes, I'm guilty of this man. But he, he caters to the people. And, and Pilate says, take him away. Crucify him. And they take Jesus outside the gates there on a hill called Golgotha. And there he was sentenced to die on a cross like a thief. And there he was on the cross between two thieves. And for six hours, he hung there until finally he did die. And the court of man said, let's get rid of Jesus. But guess what? There was a higher court who overturned that decision. I want you to look at verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. This is the first sermon on this side of the, after the resurrection. All right? This is after the resurrection. 
Verse 22, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man who was accredited by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. You saw the miracles. Some of you experienced the miracles. You all know someone that Jesus touched and that Jesus healed. Look at verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. You thought it was all you, but it was really all by God's design. And you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But the very next verse says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Pilate appeared to have won. Man appeared to have won. Satan appeared to have won. But God, the higher court, overturned the lower court's decision and raised Jesus from the dead. And in that moment, in that moment, write this down as we close, the truth became evident that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Jesus became Lord and Christ, which is exactly what Acts 2, verse 36 tells us. He assured them that this man whom you crucified is both Lord and Christ. Here's the deal. Buddha lived, died, and was buried. Muhammad lived, died, and was buried. Joseph Smith lived, died, and buried. Jesus Christ lived, died, and buried. But three days later, God breathed life into his dead body and he was resurrected which proves that he alone is the lord of lord and the king of king and the ruler of this universe that he alone is god it's a blessing for us to bring this program to you every day we exist only by our faithful partners who support us through their prayers and financial gifts If Pastor Dudley's message has been a blessing to you, we would like to encourage you to consider joining in partnership with us so we can continue to be here every day to bless others with this important ministry. Your gifts, whether large or small, are greatly appreciated and go directly to help keep us on the air. You can find out more about supporting us by calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. 4777. We have operators standing by and ready to take your call. You can also support us by going to our website, liftupjesus.com forward slash reach. That address again is liftupjesus.com forward slash and then the word reach. We live in the most distracted culture in the history of the world. We see about 10,000 messages every day. We even touch our phones about 2,000 times a day. We're literally being overwhelmed with information. That's why there's no better time than right now for Dudley Rutherford's remarkable new book, One Thing. 
rediscover a simpler faith in our complicated world. In this timely book, Pastor Dudley invites you to open your Bible and look closely at seven key passages of Scripture where you'll find the beautifully uncomplicated phrase, One Thing. These scriptures will quiet all the noise that you're hearing and call you back to a simpler faith. Dudley Rutherford has discovered the secret of how to focus our lives on the one thing that matters. What if you could find that simplicity? It's waiting out there, and this is your roadmap to freedom. Contact Lift Up Jesus today and get your copy of One Thing, the book that could finally change everything. I'm Kyle Welch. We invite you to join us every weekday at this time when we again lift up Jesus with Pastor Dudley. Pastor Dudley.